Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. through on his own the rebound in it goes Bruno Fernandes the Villa fans have been giving him stick they've gone very quiet now This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United and we are here inside the press box to react to that vital win for Manchester United 1-0 over Aston Villa. It's only about half an hour since the match finished. The stands are empty and the clear-up operation is beginning and we're going to talk about that win over Villa. We'll also preview the match against Brighton amongst other things but we also had a reporter inside the protest by the 1958 group before the game here at Old Trafford and we'll speak to Dan Sheldon shortly. Andy Mitten will also be joining us later on on the podcast as well. But I need to introduce you to the man stood alongside me, Laurie Whitwell. Laurie, did you enjoy that? It was a right scrap towards the end, wasn't it? It was a scrap actually in the end. Um, the thing that came to my mind was the Sevilla game where Tenag said to Anthony don't get involved in that kind of stuff and that then led to the 2-2 and the ultimate no one listened to that did yeah, they no, okay, we got involved again didn't he Anthony with Callum Chambers uh, Luke Shaw was getting in it with um, John Duran uh, Duran Duran I know well yeah it was a bit like that wasn't it it just kept going back and back at him Duran 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 and on and on on and on whatever <laughs> but yeah United held out for this one at least uh, so that was a positive and yeah it's a big win in that I mean uh, I think Villa had won eight and drawn two of the last ten Premier League games so they were in good form uh, you told me didn't you this uh, start that uh, they scored in every single game Premier League game under Unai Emery since he took charge that's the first time a team has managed to stop them from scoring and actually United overall kept them to very few chances really I know there was a little bit of stuff in the second half I mean Lindelof off the line but that was an offside thing the Villa player cleared his own chance didn't he that was the only other thing that, that springs to mind well done um, Esri yeah <laughs> um, yeah so I think United actually overall pretty complete performance the ball's over the top first half that was the that was the key to it all Villa's high line but United just kept on getting in behind who stood out to you today? I think I spoke to Bruno Fernandes after the match. Bruno stood out, definitely, but he mentioned Victor Lindelof and Casimiro. It felt like a real return to form for Casimiro in particular. Yeah, that was who I asked uh, Ten Hag about afterwards because um, I think he'd had a bit of a dip, right? I mean, I don't think I'm alone in thinking Carl that. said that on the last podcast yeah. after Spurs, to be fair. Yeah, so I mean, that, I think that was valid. Um, wasn't quite at the same pace that he was playing at previously. Ten Hag basically accepted that and he said, you know, all players will have dips in the season. I think maybe the red card and suspension put him off his rhythm but this was the Casemiro we all know from this season you know resounding in his praise for him organisation the leadership that he has he says that he carries other players along with him and I just thought you know from, from the first moment he was kind of snapping into tackles you know flirting again with that sort of uh, you know potential for getting a caution or whatever um, but managed to you know tread the right uh, line on that on that score and then <laughs> so 
<laughs> Sorry. Who's waving at you in Emery? Uh, well, I, I wish, you know, Tom, Tommy Jordan, who uh, I used to work with at Aston Villa when I covered the club, he's, uh, he's the press officer there. So he's just giving me a little wink as he goes in for his press conference with Unai Emery. Uh, where was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking roughly about the midfield. So are we claiming that this continues the record? Because Bruno Fernandes... Casimiro and Christian Eriksen together have got this unbeaten run. Marcel Sabitz is sort of in there as well now. So what are we up to with that record? Does it count? Does it count? I, I, well, they all started they together. They all started. you word, the record. Yeah. They all started this game. Well, they all started the 20th game uh, together. 16 wins, four draws. So that extends that record. I know Bruno was playing on the right now this time. So maybe, you know, that's a bit of a slightly disingenuous statistic to bring out when the idea of it is that it's those three together creating and, and, and stopping. But I thought he was really good on the right. And Tenag again went into detail on why he started him on the right for this game. You know, he's, he's played deep midfield against Everton. He's played in the number 10, obviously. But on the right, it, you know, he, he kind of was on the shoulder. He was making Moreno look behind him quite frequently um, getting him back obviously that's where he scored his goal from you know difficult finish really I know he benefited from the deflection but you know still get, gets it on target um, but also he can press well he can track back he, you know he gets in between the lines and plays passes he runs in behind himself so Tenag just you know fulsome if he's pre- him and him and Fernandez obviously get on really really well particularly on a football sense I spoke to Emmy Martinez after the match as well actually and he said that the difference between the two teams was the deflection uh, which came off uh, Moreno when Bruno Fernandes scored um, I did ask him as well if he could have done better with the Marcus Rashford save because mm. I, I thought perhaps he could have pushed that away further or, or dealt with it differently he claimed that he couldn't and it was a very wet surface when it was difficult for goalkeepers one question to Fernandes actually that I did ask they're up to 55 games now in this season they've still got is it seven something like that remaining I said, how much energy have you guys got left? I mean, we know that Bruno Fernandes is playing through an injury as well. His ankle looked heavily strapped when he came into the interview too. He got yet more praise from Eric Ten Hag for that. But it's amazing that United can have a scrap in a game like that today against Aston Villa when they play 55 times. And a lot of the players who have been in all the games like Rashford, like Fernandes, like Luke Shaw are still out there and still giving it their all. Yeah, I think it's a credit to uh, you know, the players and, and also the medical team. I know they've had, you know, Ericsson has been out and, and Garnacho now, but, but all, the, all the injuries that they've had, I feel like have been from collisions, you know, they've been from tackles, which you just have to accept in football. I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's been too many that have been muscle. I mean, maybe Anthony Martial, but I think that was a hip. Uh, Marcus Rashford's groin, yeah. Luke Shaw's hamstring. There's been a couple maybe, but yeah. not many. Yeah, not many. There's, not, there's not been an extended period, I think. So yeah, credit to the department for, for sorting that out. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, Tenag again made substitutions. I was sort of again thinking, is that going to be a talking point? If it then, because it, it, it you know, changed to about three, didn't he? Harry Maguire came on. Harry Maguire got applauded and his name sung by the Villa fans, by the way, which, I mean, I, I had the same thought as you. Is that a kind of mockery in the sense of, great, we've got this guy on that's become this figure of fun? Uh, or actually, I, I, thought, I thought it was more serious than that. I thought it was genuine. You know, we, we saw him, you know, pictured at Bonnie Moore Heath in January and everyone was getting excited that that was him signing for Villa and, and there's been sort of suggestions that no, might no, He wasn't actually at the training ground, was he? He was at well, the golf course nearby the Belfry. It's over the road, isn't it? It's how you used to work for the Daily Mail. <laughs> Top spin. Um, so I actually thought that was serious uh, from them, you know, signed for us in the summer, Harry. But, um, but it meant that, you know, United changed to about three and, and that kind of invited a bit of pressure on, I suppose. And there's a few clearances that, that went up and maybe if United had, had, had kept the foot on the ball a bit more, they might have been able to see it out a bit more leisurely. Um, so, but, but I think, yeah, I think he's, he's bringing these players on because he, he knows he needs, you know, still, even at this stage, you know, fresh players. I think the, the really positive thing is that you've got a nine-point gap now to Tottenham with a game in hand. 
you know, 10 points to Liverpool. I think Brighton, if they win their game in hand, they're down to eight points. But it's a, it's a pretty significant gap at this stage of the season when there's like, you know, five, six games left. So therefore, I think he can perhaps start just planning ahead to Man City in the FA Cup final because that'll, that'll come up round quicker than we might anticipate. Yeah, definitely an important result that for Manchester United because Villa were pretty much the form team in the league, weren't they, coming into this, as we've said. Um, the other big talking point, of course, from today was the fans' protest before the game, led from Manchester City Centre by the 1958. Our man Dan Sheldon, who joins us now, what was it like? It was really good, actually. It was, um, first things first, incredibly well organised. You know, there was constant communication. There was a police presence. It wasn't significant, but it was notable. But there was constant communication from those at the front of the march, always in dialogue with the police about we're going to go right here or left here or wherever. You know, they were loud. When they passed the toll gate, for example, more supporters would join. I think around, I got there just after 11 in the city centre and, you know, it was quite a small crowd. By the time we got to the Munich Tunnel outside Old Trafford, there were um, a good couple of thousand, I think. And, and you spoke to some of them, didn't you, Dan? Uh, obviously, we know it's a 1958 and they've been quite strong on full bio only. Uh, I've got my own sort of thoughts on that. But um, what, did, what did the people say to you that were part of this march? Like, you know, in terms of every United fan can agree they want the Glazers gone, they want the debt gone. But what's the you know, realistic solution to that? The overriding message was that we want the Glazers gone and we want them gone now. And you'll see, I'm sure you've seen from the pictures, it was the full sale only it was the biggest banner they had. But when you're asking supporters, well, what do you actually want? You know, there is concern about those reports around Jim Ratcliffe's bid where perhaps Joel and Avram stay on. Now, that, that wasn't reported on The Athletic and it's not our information, but no reason to dispute that. So you know, they were erring towards the Qataris, right? Because they see the Qataris as coming in, buying 100% of the club, getting rid of the debt, and the Glazers are gone. There were several people saying that to you, that the 1958 group favoured the Qataris. Well, I mean, whether they were part of the 1958 group or not, you know, they wouldn't say, but they were okay, certainly sorry. in the protest. And, you know, they were more in favour of the Qataris because they've seen those stories regarding Ratcliffe and the idea that perhaps two of the Glazers may stay on. And one, one supporter made the comment that, you know, they just want a debt-free takeover, right? And Ratcliffe is on about kind of loading any more debt onto Ineos. Even that supporter wasn't even interested in that. It, that was just a no-go for them. Even though it wouldn't be on the club, it was, he just thought that would be more of the same. We're going to find out, aren't we, fairly soon what the landscape looks like. And I don't know, I have reservations about a Qatari takeover. Sheikh Jassim is, is leading that. But we, you know, there's loads of questions that we still need to ask about that and, and the, the sort of the ultimate source of the funds. And, you know, he's doing it as a private individual via the uh, 92 Foundation. But, you know, scrutiny needs to be applied there. And I would really love a proper debate with fans about what that might feel like for them. You know, to have a, essentially, it would be, when you trace it all the way back, it would be a state ownership. And, you know, United fans have, have, you know, derided City fans for the same thing. They've got a song about Chelsea fans for having that kind of level of funding from Roman Abramovich in previous years. Newcastle as well, you know. So it, I think it would change the kind of makeup of the club. But did, did, they, did you get into that kind of level of detail with these fans or is it is it difficult in that environment? Yeah, they're on a protest march. There needs to be a clear message with the protest, right? You can't be having these nuanced debates, can you? Well, I guess as well, there's no one directly to ask who is speaking for the group. It's just individuals you're speaking to, which is why I was pushing you a moment ago about exactly what was said and who exactly said it. No, you're right. You know, it is the 1958 group, as I understand it, was set up anonymously, right? So they're not putting their names to, to the group or who they are. But all I can say was you know, take away who they want to buy the club. You know, the key part of their message was we just want the Glazers gone now. You know, one of the 
supporters I spoke to called, called the sales process a charade. They think it's just a circus where the Glazers are making it go on longer and longer, trying to eke out as much money as possible. Important note as well, Laurie, actually, and I saw Adam Crafton, one of our athletic colleagues, uh, tweeting about this earlier on. The statement full sale only sort of lends itself to looking like it's a support for the Qatari bid as opposed to Sir Jim Radcliffe, but they've not overtly said that, the group, in any of the messaging. No, um, and I feel sympathy for them because what else can you say like you know what, or what else can you want um that then leads fit to on a banner would it like we would, <laughs> we wouldn't mind minority yeah. investment <laughs> at this certain percentage well, well that's a nuance actually that i you know if it meant that the glazers you know say, say joel and avram do stay in this kind of hypothetical situation with syndrome ratcliffe but they're not in control and it's ratcliffe calling the shots is that okay is that palatable with the potential proviso that in future maybe he or somebody else fully buys them out I mean I feel like the Glazers owning and, and controlling what happens at United is, is the crux of things right I know the debt is a huge thing as well and I, I do have to say that, as Dan's touched on to have a protest like that organised as it was with a clear message and lots of people joining in and a very visual thing you have to applaud uh, the fans in that regard Absolutely, because yeah. to have activism like this in this sort of modern era I think is a, is a credit to the club and the people that have organised it so I'm not trying to dismiss that at all I'm just trying to get into the, the granular detail of of what that would then look like and as you say Ian if it's a full sale only then it's it's the Qataris because they're the only ones with the wallets uh, you know big enough pockets deep enough but that I, do, I don't know I still have reservations about that and I think that shouldn't the, the, the protest shouldn't then negate the kind of more refined discussions around it. As we said at the top, Andy Mitten will be joining us later on in the podcast, so we'll obviously quiz him about it as well. While we've got you though, Dan, you went into the mix zone as well. Did you manage to speak to anyone? Yeah, um, Tyrone Malassia came out not long after the full-time whistle. I spoke very enthusiastically about Eric Ten Hag and how he's actually really enjoying the, the discipline that Ten Hag's brought to the club, whether that's kind of turning up on time, the high standards and training, the, the tactical discipline that, that's required of a player. So it was really interesting to hear that. And he touched a bit on the, the Champions League and then a little bit on the, the FA Cup final. So, you know, it was, it was good to talk to him. Yeah, absolutely. I thought he had a good game as well, actually, Tyrone Molassi, especially that piece of defending in the first half where he chased John McGinn from one side of the pitch to the other and slid in. The fans absolutely loved that. But Dan, thank you very much for joining us. You can look out for Dan's piece, of course, on the fans' protest today that's on The Athletic. And Laurie, your match report will be up there soon as well. Just quickly, what, what are you writing about? Well, I'm currently in discussion with my editor about this, actually. Oh, So he, he's suggesting a Bruno-focused piece there's a clip on social media, isn't there, with Jaden Sancho telling him to stop moaning. And then I think he had a bit of a discussion at the end with Casemiro when he played on the edge. And obviously celebration was all about making sure that the Villa fans saw him, I think, after they were criticising him for staying down after a thing. Um, I was sort of thinking that maybe I could do it more generally about the midfield and just the sense that you've got Casemiro, who's 31, Christian Eriksen, who's 31, Bruno, who's 28 it's a great midfield it's doing really well this season will it be the midfield for next season I mean you know they are looking at midfield as the second uh, priority position uh, in the transfer market so just uh, throwing it forward a little bit so uh, we'll, we'll see yeah we'll see who's won that argument then <laughs> by the time uh, that piece reaches you will and I can tell you that Usain Bolt has just come out onto the Old Trafford pitch to have his picture taken as well as a little video that he's done for social media doesn't look quite as quick as he used to Laurie is that fair? Oh, hang on, Laurie's taking a picture. Go and ask him for a selfie, mate. <laughs> I actually had someone ask me for a selfie today. Fully clothed? Yeah, he, did, he didn't. He said, I recognise those six-pack anywhere. <laughs> those boxes. <laughs> Where'd you get them from? <laughs> the next sale, I think it was. 
But yeah, that's quite a sight, isn't it? Usain Bolt. He doesn't. Do you know what I mean, though? He doesn't look quite as. What, are, as quick. are you suggesting his shirt is kind of feeling the pressure of, of his particular <laughs> midriff? Shall I give him my uh, fitness trainer's number and see if he can shed a little bit around the uh, the old abdomen? Yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, he used to enjoy his chicken nuggets, didn't he, when he was uh, properly. Uh, sub sub nine seconds for 100 metres so maybe he's just enjoying a, a few more now yeah why not enjoy your retirement when you've been quicker than any person that's ever lived on the planet yeah. ever I think you're allowed to do what you want aren't you absolutely this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, it's now Monday lunchtime. We've had a little bit longer to digest the result against Aston Villa and also the fallout from all the protests as well. As promised, Andy Mitten has joined Laurie and I to talk about everything. Um, Andy, first of all, what what's your take on the reaction from the protests yesterday? What sort of an impact you felt that they made? It was picked up by major outlets, so that was a good thing. I think it was picked up online. That's a good thing. Uh, you could look at it another way. I don't think the idea of missing the first 18 minutes worked at all. I think Old Trafford looked full. I think that is the risk when you ask people not to go into the game. People just aren't prepared to do it. We've talked about that before, haven't we? And I saw Laurie tweeting a picture and I saw the reaction to that. I think visually outside the ground um, looks good. I mean, I've been there this season several times, stood on some at Busby Way when people walk past with the flags, with the smoke, and it's loud and it's noisy. Someone told me two weeks ago, the Glazers simply do not care. It's just a small price for them to pay. It's pretty deflating when you hear that. I think the bottom line is fans are angry. They want rid of the Glazers. I think most people who work for Manchester United wouldn't disagree with that either. They want new bosses. So when I saw someone say, Eric Ten Hag picking up a... A, a green and yellow scarf will not be approved upon. I thought, you know what? I don't think anyone will say anything about that. I think there's one or two people who are not based in the UK who would object to that. People want the best for Manchester United who work for the club, just like the fans do. And that means a change in ownership. And that means capital coming into the club for the areas which we've discussed a lot about. There's loads of side issues, Ian. Full sale only. Does that mean Qatar? Because they're the only ones on the table. I think we need to talk a bit more about this. I mean, we touched on it, um, Laurie and I, with Dan at Old Trafford after the game and, and Dan's piece that we were talking about then is up on The Athletic now. And there are quotes in there from from fans who were part of that protest saying that they were in favour of a Qatari bid. But 
Do you think that the 1958 group should have a clear opinion on this now, Andy? The minute they do that, they start splitting the people who they're trying to unite. That's the problem. United fans want different things. And football fans change the tune as well. So the one solid thing which United fans want is for the Glazers to go. That's the one unifying point. At Seville last week, I saw flags in the away end against sports washing. So against Qatar. I get a very mixed reaction from the fans I speak to. But what are United fans? Matchcoin fans? Fans who've never been to a game? Everyone has got an opinion on this. At the games, even there it's divided. I know lots of people who would favour Qatar with enthusiasm. I know others who are horrified at the prospect of becoming a sports washing project and have been critical of Manchester City and PSG over the last decade for being part of a sports watching project. Of course, this is Manchester United fans. Everyone thinks they've got the right answer. Everyone thinks they know best. People come up to me all the time and they pass on their opinion as if it is a fact. And this is what you're dealing with. It's an area which people feel very strongly about. It's pretty sad because the fans have actually done nothing wrong here. The fans have been cornered by by the Glazer takeover going back years. So this is a, this is a historical hangover and we've seen various polls saying what fans want if i went onto twitter now said who do you want qatar would win by a mile if i went on to united we stand or the athletic jim ratcliffe would probably win i think jim ratcliffe needs to do some pr because his message is getting very muddled people are now saying he wants to keep the glazers that's a big mark against this ineos bid are any of them perfect not at all is it sad that it's come to this? Absolutely. It's a complex one because no one knows what's going to happen either. I hear people saying they've got to invest money into the area around Old Trafford. Well, where does that money come from? Come from Qatar? Is that right? Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Yeah, but just look at what's happened in East Manchester around City's ground. Visually, it looks stunning. looks great. We're going to go deeper into socioeconomical and geopolitical issues as to where the money's coming into Manchester to to develop, to build this incredible skyline, where the money's going out to. You start getting into areas which are the opposite of attending a football game to cheer on a load of sportsmen you don't know and wanting them to win. It can get very deep very, very quickly. Speaking of deep, Laura, you've been digging into the detail behind (laughs) some of the financial issues and what's the right word? Some of the makeup maybe of, of the ownership of the club and what the future ownership of the club could look like with the potential investment that's coming. Please simplify this for us because your read on this is, is incredibly detailed. And yeah, we want people to carry on listening past this answer. So, so do your best, please, Laurie. I'll, well, I'll keep it quick in that, in that regard then. Um, yeah. It's crucial detail for people, isn't it? Yeah. And it's new it detail, actually. A day, a day to speak for 40 minutes, Laurie. Give a 42-minute answer. <laughs> he probably could. He'd just read his piece. Go on the website if you really want all the detail. But um, yeah, obviously, I've spoken to people that know much more about this than I do. You know, investors that have actually got shares in United and that it's their job to be on top of this kind of stuff. So it was just a piece that basically was trying to explain 
the difference between the Class B and Class A shares, you know, 10 times the voting rights that the Class B shares have, and they can only be owned by Glazers. So as soon as they leave Glazer hands, they reduce to the Class A shares, which are worth a tenth of the voting rights. So basically, the kind of the the, the kind of theoretical um, result of that is that if Joel and Avram kept their shares and the other four siblings sold their shares, Joel and Avram would still have 75% of the voting power at United, so would stay in control. Now, clearly, if anyone's actually buying those shares, they're, they're going to want control, and, and you know that it, it's to be negotiated. So I'm not saying that you know if, if Sir Jim Ratcliffe buys the four siblings uh, out, uh, that he won't get control. I'm, I'm sure he'll have these discussions, but it's just a, an interesting facet to it that I think is worth exploring, and, and it kind of gives context to the financial institutions that are. Uh, offering um, minority investment um, to the likes of Carlisle, Aries, Elliot as well. Uh, so, so that you know, it, it gives them a certain sense of leverage in those negotiations because if they're only getting shares that are worth you know a tenth of the voting power, then they're going to want more from that. And one of the possibilities for that that I was uh, told about was uh, preferred equity, which is be- better than just common equity. So, like having ten percent of United, and, and you know, you just accept it. You know, this this preferred equity. There's different variations of it, but one is that they would get dividends each year so it's you know the dividends that the fans hated so much going to the glazers preferred equity that that's one of the uh, potential uh, results of, of that so that you know you'd have these financial institutions getting dividends each year that is clearly you know something that i think fans would be up in arms about so you know and again it's not something that i'm saying is going to happen it's just these are the kind of discussions that have been happening and, and that you never know what happens in, ultimately so yeah have a, have a read of it and the other thing i kind of wanted just to to mention in the piece that ed woodward's got quite a few shares uh 500 odd thousand of them so uh you know if there's a full buyout uh and and he gets uh, payment for those shares then he's in for a decent windfall about uh, 11 million dollars uh, i think it is at the current share price so yeah there's there's a few people with um, interest in this takeover for sure yeah, go and check that piece out, of course, if you want to know more detail. There's a hell of a lot in it, like I said at the top of the answer. Andy, just going back to a point you made before, actually, which comes into this, is the messaging behind Jim Radcliffe's bid and this potential offer. Is that the right way to put it? I don't know if it is for the Glazers to to stay um, beyond his investment. Does he need to clarify exactly whether that is the offer or whether that's just an option that's been discussed? Clarification would definitely help because the fans just see Glazers still being involved at Manchester United and that is a complete no-no and that goes against um, any attractive parts of the Sir Jim Ratcliffe Ineos bid. A problem they've got is they've signed non-disclosure agreements so they're limited to briefing journalists and you had this guy Thomas Ziliakis who... Was in direct contact with people like Laurie and myself, and being very critical. Uh, the bidding parties were told that they don't like criticism. Oh, I'm sorry. Get in the real. You better get used to that, by the way. Get get in the real world, <laughs> and even whoever takes over, get in the real world there as well. Because for as long as I've been involved in Manchester United, fans have always hated the owners, regardless. So the shiny new toy might come in and say, you know, I'm going to bring you X player and Y player. Just give it six months, give it a year. But the, the bar has been set so low with the Glazers that when they are mentioned as part of any bid, that is not seen as a, as a positive. No, I think that can be universally understood as well, can't it? For the latest, of course, on a potential takeover of Manchester United, go and have a look at The Athletic. There's pieces on there daily at the moment with this being such a fast-moving situation. Finally, it feels like there is some proper movement on this. Let's talk about the game then in a football sense. Um 
Laurie, did you win the argument then over the piece, <laughs> or was it coming. a compromise? <laughs> um, I think, I think, I think, made it to one really. Uh, it was yeah. a little bit of a compromise because I could talk about Casemiro and Ericsson a little bit, but I didn't include anything Speaking about of the creative tension. Hey, uh, the creative tension. Yeah, did you like that one? Uh, well, I, also between you and the editor. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, oh very good. Oh, love, love, love that, Ian. Always um, best yeah, the jokes cre- when you explain them. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I, I'm, <laughs> sorry. My, my brain's still on the uh, the old Class B, Class A shares. Duran Duran lost you as well, didn't it? When I listened back to that after we'd recorded it. Yeah. That, anyway, <laughs> go on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he was right because he, you know, the, the end of the of the match had Casemiro and Bruno having a bit of a tiff or you know a, a heated discussion, a debate. I don't know what you'd call it, a row. Tiff. You know? I like tiff. A, yeah. A tiff. We'll okay. That. I love us tiff. And I, I did see it. You know, at the end, you could sort of see them having a bit of a, a, a conflict. But then they had a hug at the end. You know, and you know, the TV cameras were right there. Um, but I, I think I quite like that. You know, it reminded me of the Carabao Cup final when um, Casemiro again called out Bruno over the fact that he didn't pass to Sancho and I think Sancho even said something to him after the game as well. Um, and, and you remember that Casemiro glare that he gave to. To Fernandez after the uh, the tackle at Sellers Park, when he sort of was like, "You've, you've landed me in it there," um, but I, I don't mind that. I mean, Bruno is someone that will go back at players, you know, he'll, he'll and he'll openly say that he, you know, that that's how he plays, you know, on the edge and, and sort of being quite front-footed with his opinions. Uh, I think that's he what Ten Hag wants. Me in the post-match interview as well, to be honest, when I asked yeah. him about him being more creative or more involved in chances, it felt like playing in that right wing role. What did he say? Uh, he said he's always involved in chances, no matter where he plays on the pitch. Yeah. And in fact, when he played deep against Everton, he created perhaps more chances in that game than any other match this season. And I was a bit like, yeah, so, but you so take that. feel like yeah. you're more involved in chances and goal scoring <laughs> when you play on the right. But Did you... I've only got like a 90 second interview, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Did you have a hug at the end? Absolutely not. <laughs> he shut my hand, to be fair. He always does. He's quite nice, Bruno. <laughs> Well, that's it. I think generally, uh, you know, because he, he has this persona on the pitch, doesn't he, where he can wind up uh, certainly opponents, you know, maybe officials, even his own teammate Sancho was seen saying stop moaning during the Villa game. <laughs> um, but I, I, that's just how he plays, and I, I, do, I generally think that that's how that's what Ten Hag likes. Yeah, you know, we, we touched on it, didn't we? Yeah, he's always really uh, big on praising Bruno, and I, I think that's fine. You know, Ten Hag has made uh, having personalities, characters in his team one of his primary sort of characteristics when he's looking in the transfer market and and you know so what are you going to say because they're having a bit of a row that that shouldn't be the case you know you you know you want players players you know under Sir Alex Ferguson used to have massive rows on the pitch and then you know it'd be for the betterment of the team as long as that's the ultimate aim as long as they're not kind of you know having a whinge and it's kind of you know detracting from what they're trying to do together I think sort of pointing out key moments when different decisions could have been taken is absolutely essential to then making sure that they, they win these games and you know Perhaps the right decision is taken next time. So, yeah, they hugged it out. They're, they're two big personalities, but they're also two players, I think, that um, give a lot to their teammates by, you know, through through their actions and their leadership. Yeah, it was a brilliant weekend, wasn't it, Andy, in the end for Manchester United? That win over Aston Villa for the men's team, but also the women's team on Friday night as well. Skinner time strikes again, uh, 3-2. They ended up winning that and obviously it took a step closer to... Uh, potentially winning the WSL. Um, and in terms of the Champions League fight, no matter what happened at Anfield, benefited United one way or another, didn't it? Yeah, it was. First, the women on Friday night. Brilliant spirit, Manchester United spirit to get that late winner against a very good Aston Villa women's team. They're not in that top four or five group, but 
like the the first team of the men's team. They're a really good side. That was a that was a cracking win. And this really impressive season goes on and on for Manchester United women. Let's remember, we said at the start, a top three finish in Champions League football would be a major step up for Manchester United winning. As we speak, the team are clear at the top of the table. If Chelsea win their games in hand, then it's going to get complicated. Chelsea obviously play Manchester United in, in the cup final as well. It's been a top, top season. Uh, there's some huge games coming up. Manchester City, I looked at that to take my daughters to it in a couple of weeks' time. And I was half surprised that it was at Lee Sports Village and not at Old Trafford because that is a massive, massive game. It really could be a title decider. I found myself looking not just who Manchester United's men's rivals are playing, but the women's rivals are playing. And I think for the first time since the women's team started, I've become invested in it, following it. I don't go to all the matches. I go to some of the matches. I enjoy our little chats about it and... They've been brilliant this season. Absolutely brilliant. The final chance. Zalem's delivery. And there's Turner! Incredible! Lily Turner has stepped off the bench to win the game for Manchester United. And they are heading six points clear at the top of the table in the most dramatic circumstances possible. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so next up on Manchester United's magical mystery tour of all the matches that they can possibly fit into a season. Match number 56 sees us come up against Brighton and Hove Albion again. Fresh from that Wembley penalty victory over them, Laurie. Any chance of a Newcastle? What, and, and then they spank us? <laughs> well, not so much that, but just a bit of a a bit of a fight back after losing an important yeah, game at Wembley yeah. uh, and then going, obviously, to face them away so soon afterwards. Well, well I thought I, so I saw the Forest game where the you know they got beat three one, and I mean that actually Denag referenced that um, after the game on uh, Thursday because he said you know United's two 0 win there kind of looks even better in in reflection, and I thought okay maybe their season is, is petering out actually because you know they've they've had this big surge and, and they've got games in hand but you know they've looked good um, and they, they play really good football but maybe it's it's just a little bit too much for them and then you know yesterday they go and absolutely hammer Wolves. Um, I've, I've watched the highlights this morning and you know he made about five changes, Roberto De Zerbi, you know Literally was, their most important players were all on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely... Up, not People's fantasy football fairness, teams but... got terrorised because, you know, 6-0 and they're thinking, <laughs> right, and Quid's in here and then Matoma's not involved, um, McAllister didn't get any points, Solly March wasn't, you know, in, in the mix, but Danny Welbeck, Brace, um, Pascal Gross, Grace, Pascal Gross, Brace, that's hard to say. Um, and, and Undav as well got a brace he probably said grace before his dinner to be thankful <laughs> for those two goals and the 6-0 win but yeah and so and so, and maybe you know is that to freshen up the limbs uh, for Thursday it's, it's clearly they've, they've got a few matches coming up haven't they so maybe, maybe it was that but also a reaction to the Forest performance but clearly they've got just a lot of good players that can actually step in and see so again 
he looked like really sharp. I know he's been uh, good in the last few weeks anyway. But um, so yeah, they've got a lot of really talented technical players. Roberto De Zerbi called it. I think he's his proudest or his most um, the truest expression of his coaching in his whole career that that match. So you know they're on you know they'll be on and up, won't they, for the game? So I think United have to be really guarded. Yeah, it was interesting the team selection because De Zerbi had spoken in the press conference before it, Andy, about his players being tired and he homed in on Mitoma in particular and said, you know, if this lad wants to play for top teams in Europe or even if we're in Europe next year, he's going to have to get used to playing, you know, multiple matches a week. And when you compare the struggle that they've supposedly had at fitting in their games and playing their matches, how Manchester United have still got energy and still got fight, we talked about it at the start about still having the ability to scrap with an Aston Villa side who are on a, a major up. You know, United are really going to have to show proper grit and determination to go to Brighton and get something because not only are they a good quality team, they'll have a point to prove, like I've just been saying there with Laurie. I asked Joel Veltman, the, the Dutch defender at Wembley last week, you play Manchester United very shortly, chance for revenge. And obviously, because he's Dutch, he said yes. He was very direct <laughs> about it. There are look you square in the eye with a cold face. I imagine when exactly. he said yes as well. It was good. Yeah, it was it was blink. it was a good interview. It was interesting, and they've been a success story. They're a cracking side. I spoke to some of Manchester United's coaching staff in the tunnel at Wembley last week. They were raving about Brighton, and Manchester United are really tired. I'd take a draw all day long now at, at Brighton. They've been. Scoring a lot of goals, they've been doing really well. Uh, they're eighth, so they have lost a couple of matches as well, but 61 goals this season. Manchester United have scored 49. They've scored as many goals as Newcastle United, who, who are scoring lots of goals at the moment. So I'd take... Would I take two, a draw at West Ham? No, West Ham are different. You need a win there. It's a tough, tough, tough match against a very, very good team. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And uh, obviously the memories of last season and, and the experience playing Brighton at the start of this season are still quite fresh for us, like we talked about before that that semi-final game. The one time at Brighton, Ian, where United were brilliant was during lockdown when it was empty. And that was Bruno and Pogba combining. Fantastic. But when there's actually a, a crowd... We've only got bad memories of playing oh, Brighton. Oh, it's horrendous. Horrendous. Do you remember that one Glenn Murray score the winner? He's a, he, he was a Manchester United fan as yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Glenn Murray. He's got that little flick past De Gea. Oh, it was it was awful. I was there. I got told another funny story. Rod Thornley, the old masseur, was on the bench at, at Brighton, and he got sent to sit in the director's box. And he walked past a fella in in a suit, and the man said, "Aya, Rod, great to see you." And and Rod said, "Aya, what are you doing here?" And he went, "Well, I'm the chief executive." And Rod had just got him wrong, and he, he, <laughs> he, he it was Paul Barber who'd been involved with him at England. Rod said he made such a fool of... Oh, he actually knew him as well? Because Rod had been the master at England as well. Right, yeah. Yeah, of course. So, hey, Rod, great to see you. How are you doing, lad? Fine, what are you doing here? Yeah, I'm in charge of the club. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> I love stuff like that. In fact, looking across the results, actually, away at Brighton, um, since they've been back in the Premier League, it's not been great, has it? 2018, a 1-0 defeat to Brighton. Uh August 2018, later on that year, the game I'm talking about, Brighton 3, Manchester United 2. Uh, they did win 3-0 there during lockdown in June 2020. That's the one. And had a couple of wins there the following year, but obviously then there was a the 4-0 last year, so they're certainly up against it. Um, and in terms of the defence, though, we need to just talk about this. We didn't really touch on it much, did we, post-match, Laurie? But that clean sheet against Aston Villa 
without Martinez, without Varane. You know, the home form and the home clean sheets have been brilliant, but they could do with one of these against a team near the top of the league, couldn't they? I mean, mm. I don't think they've kept a clean sheet against anyone in the top half away from home this season. Uh, that, that, that's Yeah, that's scandalous really, isn't it? I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the away form against the top half teams has been really, really poor. Yeah, at home, I think eight goals conceded. Um, all season, which I think is the lowest they've ever had in a, in a home season so far. I mean, obviously, they've got a few more left, so they might surpass previous totals. But yeah, the fact that they've had you know turbulence to the back line and they've been able to perform like they did against Aston Villa, you know, a, a good Aston Villa team in attack. And I know it took Casemiro as well in, in front screening, but you've got Ollie Watkins who's been on fire this you know past couple of months, and you know he was restricted to very very minimal uh, chances. So I think credit to Luke Shaw. I just think he, he Shaw has, has just become such a technical, a smart player. Um, bit about him as well, you know, won't won't shirk a fight. Um, Lindelof had probably one of his best games certainly this season. Um, you know, a couple of really important clearing headers to crosses that one off the line, obviously. Um, and 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 then you know Dalla and and Malassia. I think Malia Malassia had a bit of return to uh, to, to brighter performance than he, than he has been doing. So. Uh, yeah, but it it'll be a different prospect against Brighton, um, and you know you've got Harry Maguire there. Does does he does he rotate at all? I kind of think Tenag will just go with this now for the, for the foreseeable, and and may, maybe there's a match at home where he feels like he needs to rest, uh, you know, a player or two. But um, you know you'd kind of think that Maguire would come in for for Lindelof. You know that's where he's been playing rather than on the left side of the centre defensive partnership so would he would he really rest Lindelof I don't think Lindelof needs a rest I know he's had injury problems in the past with his back but seems okay at the moment so yeah I think it's a, a good unit that they've got with sort of changeable parts uh, but then again you know they have got these aberrations in them away from home where they go and you know you know absolutely plummet at Anfield or, or Newcastle they get overwhelmed so it's, it's, I, I kind of am on the same lines as Andy now they've got that buffer to kind of fifth sixth places um, not counting any chickens but I feel like a draw at Brighton would be fine yeah I think it would be I just had a quick scan actually five clean sheets away from home in the Premier League this season for Manchester United and they came against Southampton Leicester Wolves Leeds and Forest so that they are basically the 20th team in the league the 18th team the 17th the 16th and the 14th so Wolves are actually the highest placed team that Manchester United have stopped scoring away from home in the league this year. Wow. Uh, Victor Lindelof, I think, deserves credit because I think that was his fifth straight game. I think he's playing really well, did, did well at Wembley, heroic sir, and played very well alongside Luke Shaw. Victor Lindelof did also play in that game against Brighton, we've now both mentioned, alongside Eric Bailly. I think this was Eric Bailly's worst ever game since he was seven years old. <laughs> and Victor Lindelof had an absolute stinker as well. That was the one in uh, August August uh, 19, which ended 3-2. Yeah, Manchester United are much changed since then, thankfully. Because normally a trip down to the seaside is, is quite a lovely prospect, isn't it? And Andy Mitten has been sharing pictures that I don't know whether he's going to tell us about on the podcast, but he's been at the seaside this week, and haven't you, Andy? I only shared a pitch with you. I, did, I didn't do it publicly, but yeah, I, I was with my family and we went for a nice coffee yeah. in, in Spain. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lad came in and uh, sat at the table next door, but one to us, and my nine-year-old daughter said, um, that's Frankie de Jong. And I spun round and thought, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And? I don't know him, and part of me thought privately. Uh, you know him now, though, don't you? That fella hey. paid my mortgage last summer. I wrote that much about him. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go and thank him. 
But I thought I don't know. I mean, I know I know some of his teammates well. I know I know some of his bosses well. Um, my daughter, well, my wife um, went up to him and said, "My daughter really likes you. Can she have a pitch?" And he said, "Come and sit down here." And he was very nice with my daughter. I just stayed way out of this. I would have been good if he would have like him and his. He was with a couple of his mates. If he would have recognised me as the person who was putting tweets out, telling him to come to Manchester last year, <laughs> because it was always sunny, and there he is, sat by sat by the sea, enjoying himself. What I uh, I told my daughter to say, get him to come to United, and she said, no, I want him to stay at Barca. So, right, uh, you you're going without food, then. Questioning your parenting skills now, to be honest, Andy. Well, you should have just well, asked him, do you like George Harrison and see what he said? Exactly. What I did do is send a picture of my daughter with Frankie to one of um, Frankie's bosses, but I didn't put any words by it. As I was trying to like get him to come to Manchester United. and uh, Agent Mitten Jr. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think Frankie de Jong looks extremely young. He's had a very good season at Manchester United and he was very nice with my daughter. So what more can I say to that? Are we allowed to say that they look very similar? They, they look yeah. like they could be related. What are you saying? That Frankie's been having a relationship with my wife here, Laurie. You, you, you are leaping to conclusions there, Andy. All I'm pointing out is that they both look very youthful, very blonde. Yeah, yeah they do. They do. I mean, I, I agree with you, Laurie. You could write that, see that picture and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice when kids see footballers and footballers are nice with them. Because yeah. we've seen a few examples recently where it's gone the other way, haven't we? At, at Arsenal, and I think there's an Everton one this weekend. So Leeds this weekend. Yeah, I've just been talking about it on yeah. the Athletic Football Podcast. Actually, Phil Hay had the the detail of what happened there. But yeah, no, it's it's an important part of what makes footballers, you know, popular, isn't it? You know, that 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 idolised uh, and the opportunity to give a little bit of that back and stop for a picture. I mean, you see the fans outside Old Trafford before and after every single game. Yeah. Screaming the names of players, the manager, you know, and occasionally having the opportunity to get a picture with them or an autograph, it means the world to people. It's the type of thing that they'll never forget. I still remember being stood as a little boy in the car park at the cliff, being too small to get to the front to be able to get Eric Cantona's autograph when he came out of training. And lo and behold, Cantona stopped his car, wound his window down for me, leant out the window and said, I'll sign that. And signed the uh, the little book that I had and it's the type of thing that sticks with you forever isn't it you'll never forget stuff like that Laurie and I actually had a good night out in in Seville and I got tipped off about a bar from a local and we went to this bar and there was quite a lot of Manchester United people in there which we didn't know and Lee Sharp who I loved when I was a kid and my brother loved he saw us he just jumped out the area we were in he came straight over he was great he's a top top lad and it's funny how it changes over the years and especially with our profession you end up knowing some of these people quite well or any of them your mates they're contacts really aren't they but some of them you get to know really well I didn't know Frankie but I know Geordie Cruyff who's told me an example of when he arrives at away games with Barca he said he tells his players that some of them people waiting have been there for hours like you're saying and they shout Frankie Frankie Gavi Pedri he says give them the time of day that is the moment when you know how much that football team means to you and as you say outside Old Trafford for every single game I sometimes love the reactions because watching someone get totally starstruck is an amazing thing where they're just like, <laughs> they can't speak. Especially grown adults as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just me in interviews. <laughs> Lovely. Well, let's hope Manchester United's players will be happy to stop for autographs after they've beaten Brighton 
on Thursday night and uh, let's hope Adrian Mitten Jr. did have a word in Frankie's ear by the seaside in Barcelona and he can enjoy the rain in Manchester come August. But yeah, that's it then for Talk of the Devils. Thank you for listening. As always, thank you to Andy and Laurie for joining us. Remember, there is that offer, $1.99 a month for the first year when you sign up to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. See you after Brighton. Take care. Bye-bye. Athletic.